Hello there, Grace Church. My name is Adam Spees, and I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we finish our conversation in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul with the help of Timothy to a group of people that he had never met. It was a very small, kind of insignificant city. He had received a report from a guy named Epaphras while he was in prison. And this report contains some concerns that Epaphras had for this church that he had planted. They had learned uh, about Jesus, but were being led astray. Uh, They minimized his humanity and his uh, divinity. And so Paul writes to remind them of who Jesus is, that he shouldn't just be prominent in their life, but that he should be preeminent that he isn't just important, but that he is the most essential thing in their life, that he doesn't deserve a place in their life, but rather first place. And so for the last few weeks, we've been looking at this small letter to this group of people. We began our conversation by looking at a beautiful poem in Colossians 1, where uh, Paul highlights that Jesus is God. He is the God who made it all, who paid it all, and is Lord of all, that Jesus is above all. We went, as we looked in Colossians 2, that uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, that there is no substitute, that Jesus is our full uh, satisfaction, our full connection to a relationship with God. In Colossians 3, we talked about this idea of setting our minds on things above, And in doing so, it changes our character, that we're transformed into the likeness of who Jesus is. Last week, Pastor Dan led us in a conversation of this gospel-centered relationships, how it can inform our marriages, our relationships within our family, a parent-child relationship, our relationships at work. And so today we're going to finish out this letter. But before we jump into Colossians 4, I want to remind us of this theme that Paul introduces in Colossians 1. It's a theme that is all throughout the Bible. And we see this found in the prayer that he has for this group of people. We're going to jump partway in his prayer and pick it up in Colossians 1 verse 12. And he says, "...and giving joyful thanks to the Father." who has qualified you to share in his inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You've maybe heard or seen or uh, heard us talk about this uh, metaphor of this kingdom of light versus the dominion of darkness. It's a consistent theme that we see throughout Scripture. We see the kingdom of light associated with God and his character, his righteousness, his truth, his love. We see this dominion of darkness that's associated with sin, evil, death, separation from God. There are certain times, maybe even times right now, when we sense and we feel the darkness of our world. Our hearts break for those who are in Afghanistan and those who are vulnerable because we sense uh, 
people being taken advantage of, killing and uh, raping and abduction, and our heart breaks and we feel the darkness of our world. We think of Hurricane Ida, those who have lost everything through a torrent of water, uh, those who may lose family members. We can sense darkness at other times when it's illness. <laughs> as, as we navigate COVID-19, we can sense darkness when um, we walk through difficult and hard circumstances. We experience darkness through circumstances, at other times via choices, and other times as consequences. But darkness is real. It can feel scary. It can feel isolating. It can feel terrifying. Have you ever experienced physical darkness? Have you ever been in an environment or a situation that has left you nervous or afraid? I think of uh, when I was had finished my freshman year of college. I had the opp opportunity to travel to uh, Quito, Ecuador. And from there, we actually went to work uh, with a tribe in the Amazon jungle. And so our team went in and uh, we built relationships, had uh, sports camps, Bible camp, and uh, we got to know uh, this tribe and be able to share the good news of Jesus and work with the missionary uh, that was there. But we had an opportunity one evening. Uh, there was four guys on our team that volunteered, and they came to, to get us in the uh, darkness of night because we were going bird hunting. So uh, they took us kind of two by two, and uh, we went on this small boat that had a decent motor, and we hop on the Amazon River. Uh, the guy in front of us had a flashlight. We could see maybe five, uh, at most 10 feet in front of us. He was looking for alligators and uh, different rocks. And so he'd shine his light and yell something. The guy would turn quickly as we were heading to this deserted island to go bird hunting. We made it to this island. We get off. It's uh, mucky and marshy. And uh, we start uh, making our way around. They divide two by two. And we're following this guy that we couldn't communicate with. Uh, he had a, a native language, and even though I had three years of Spanish, it didn't help me much in being able to communicate with him. The only conversation we had is he had to stop and uh, go to the restroom at one point, and I just said, mucho, and we had this uh, funny laugh. But we're traveling with him, unable to communicate uh, through this wilderness of a, of a lost island, and we feel the water at our feet and at one point, he kind of turns to us and stops. And so the guy who was with me, we just stay there. And what becomes 10 minutes turns into 15, into 20. Fortunately, we were with each other, but we felt scared. The little blowguns that we had to try and shoot birds were of no use. I was fearful of alligators, of snakes, of if this guy was returning. Have you ever felt darkness? It can feel isolating, scary, helpless. Fortunately, we were rescued out of that situation. But what it says in the Bible is that all of us are born into darkness. 
That is the natural way that we come into the world, that since Adam and Eve and sin has uh, been brought into our world, that we are born into sin, into separation from God. Proverbs talks about those uh, who are living in that darkness. It's like they stumble, that they have lost their way. Moses talks in the book of Deuteronomy, and he compares this darkness to like a blind man groping in the darkness. And we can feel the weight and uh, the struggle of this dark world at particular times. And all of us recognize that we need rescued. And that is what we see here in Colossians 1. It says that Jesus, God, has rescued us from this dominion of darkness, that every person is born in and needs rescued. That when Jesus came, he referred to himself as the light of the world. We see prophecies in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah that talks about the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. In this land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. We see Matthew use this same verse in chapter 4, verse 16, to talk about Jesus. That Jesus gives this invitation that he says, I am the light of the world. No longer do you have to live in darkness. That you can choose my gift of salvation or relationship and choose to follow me to walk in the light. We see the book, the Gospel of John, use this theme all throughout. John 12, 46 says, I have come into the light so that the one who believes doesn't have to stay in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world that didn't come to bring condemnation but salvation, that didn't come to rub our noses in the dark corners but to bring hope and healing and restoration to give us forgiveness, to give us hope that no longer do we have the fear of death or the guilt of sin, but we can live free, that we can live in the light. Now, I think before we get to Colossians 4, it's important for us to maybe hit two other aspects of this darkness that we see throughout Scripture. I think if We are interacting with those living in the darkness. It is so essential and so important to understand who is responsible for that darkness. Because in a parallel book, so to speak, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to uh, a similar group of people, and he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against other humans, but rather against the rulers, authorities of this cosmic power's over this present darkness. Our enemies are not those living in darkness, but rather those controlling the darkness. If our desire is to make a difference and not just a point, it doesn't mean that we just have to call out the darkness and be really angry about those living in the darkness. We should recognize it, we should acknowledge it, but our compassion and empathy is for those who are stumbling in the dark, who haven't found the light. We don't offer condemnation, but we offer hope. We offer grace. We offer forgiveness. And it's important for us to recognize who is in control of that darkness. Now, for those of us that have found the light, have chosen to 
follow Jesus, we have a responsibility to be his ambassador of light. And we see this reality all throughout the Bible. Look with me in Ephesians. It says, For you were once in darkness. All of us were originally in darkness, but now you live in the light. Live as children of the light. In Matthew, it says, Let your light shine among others. Followers of Jesus are called to shine a light into the darkness of our world. Now we hear that and we know that. We at times can embrace that role or responsibility, but I know often it gets very confusing of how we evaluate that responsibility. How are we doing at being light bearers in this dark world? How are we doing at offering people the hope of the gospel? And what we see is at the end of his final instructions in Colossians 4, Paul gives us a standard, a way for you and I to evaluate our role as light bearers. He gives us kind of a a scorecard, in essence, just to understand um, what our focus should be in terms of interacting with those that are living in the dark. I think it's helpful uh, for us to look at uh, this idea of a game of golf in order to understand and apply what Paul is talking about here at the end in Colossians 4. How many of you are golfers? Right? I go occasionally. Uh, for me, I would rather have it be a game of power than one of precision and accuracy. You know, I enjoy top golf or the driving range a little bit more. But the game of golf is uh, very unique because the lowest score wins. Everything in a golf game is uh, evaluated based upon a par for a hole, right? If If you golf nine or 18, each hole has a par. It's a standard that you and I can evaluate our golf game, how we're doing. Every hole has minimally a par three, one shot from the tee, two for uh, on the green, right? But there might be a, a par four or a par five. And so if when you're talking and you tell someone that you um, made uh, a hole in four shots, four strokes, right? We don't know if it's good or bad <laughs> unless we know the par. And here in his final instructions in Colossians 4, Paul is giving us a par for how you and I uh, fulfill our role as light bearers. Look with me in uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 2. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for the message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'd like to give us a a par from this passage and use the acronym as a way for us to uh, remember it, maybe challenge each other with it. And the first that we see here, Paul, in his final instructions, is that we would pray. How is your prayer life? 
would uh, devotion be a word that accompanies your prayer life? Are you more passive or proactive when it comes to your prayer life? What do you often pray about? You know, it's easy to pray about our circumstances or the things right in front of us or maybe our loved ones, but how often are we in consistent prayer for the spiritual need of others? There's a book called uh, The Evangelism Handbook, and I was challenged by this quote. It says, One of the great hindrances to evangelism, which is sharing the good news of the gospel, in our day is a lack of biblical prayer for evangelistic purposes. Consider the average church. Think of Grace Church. Notice how much time is spent praying for physical needs. Think of that in our grace groups or maybe other environments where we join together. This is biblical and right. James 5 talks about it. We should be doing this. But too many prayer meetings are like organ recitals. We pray for hearts, livers, and other organs. Very little praying is done for spiritual needs. That is what Paul is encouraging us to do. He is asking them on his behalf to pray for open doors, for clarity in the message, that we would pray with devotion, that we would be passionate rather than passive about our prayer life. We try and have subtle reminders for us individually and corporately. One of those is just a bracelet that we wear, right? It's not just to promote Grace Church, but rather to serve as a reminder because on the inside, it says pray for your three. And hoping that every time we put that on, we think of those that we have the opportunity to uh, be light to, that God has surrounded us in, that those uh, who haven't yet said Jesus, that we would bring them before God, recognizing that he is the one that ultimately changes hearts, that he allows us to play a role in his restoration and reconciliation of others to him. That we would pray for open doors, that we would pray more about opportunities rather than our circumstances. An open door is just an avenue, a no-brainer moment to be able to share the good news of the gospel. We recognize that People live in bondage, and we are looking for opportunities to be able to clarify who Jesus is. I heard an example a few years ago of a church. They decided that they would go kind of door-to-door in their community. We don't do that uh, as much anymore, right? It's rather scary. Get away, right? But back in those times, they decided before doing that that they would pray for certain households. And so in doing that, They visited 90, and there were nearly 70 homes that had a welcome reception and invitation. They decided just to go to another 90 homes, homes that they hadn't prayed for, ones that they hadn't been thinking about or taken before uh, the throne of God. And they had one person who opened the door and was open to an invitation. I think so much we can minimize God's role, and maybe put the weight on ourselves, right? That we have all this responsibility. That when we meet people and interact and 
Are doing life with people who don't know Christ is our first response to consistently, to regularly, with devotion, take their name before Jesus? That we would pray for open doors, pray for clarity of this message. Right? He says it's a mystery of Christ. Not that it's a secret, but it's this uh, unique revelation in who Jesus is. It's not always maybe logical or common sense that there is a spiritual element to understanding and embracing this message. That our role is to provide a clear message. I heard it once put that our role is uh, much like a uh, male worker, right? It's not the response of the message, but that we uh, deliver a clear, concise message, that we don't uh, mess up that opportunity for others to hear. That is where Paul starts. That is his most important aspect. I think of the game of golf, that probably the most essential shot is the first one from the tee. I think of the driver, right? This is my big Bertha. That there's power behind this. That if I don't use it correctly, I'm off in the woods. You know, I can shank it very easily. But this gets us the furthest down the course. This gets us the closest to the hole. This is where the power resides. Prayer, our first response. The opportunity we have of bearing light to uh, talk to the light of the world, and in essence of wanting to shine his light to others. The passage gives us a second thing. As we look in verse 5, it says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. If we continue on in the acronym, A stands for ACT. Right, That we would be wise, that we would make the most of those who are outside of the faith. I think Paul here is making an assumption that we would be interacting and have relationships consistently with those who do not know Jesus. He's saying be wise in your interactions. Wisdom is knowledge applied. We're going to be looking at wisdom over the next few weeks as we begin a new series next week. And he's saying, be wise in what you talk about, when you talk about, how you talk about things. I can think so much in the unique polarizing uh, last year and a half, how wisdom is so essential in being able to communicate the gospel, that our actions make a difference. Because sometimes the only picture that they may have of this life of Christ is through the life that you and I live. That we don't want to do anything to be an obstacle or a hindrance of someone that may choose to uh, explore or seek to understand who Jesus is. In the Evangelism Handbook, it says, Skills, methods, and experience in evangelism are good. Doctrine, this right understanding of who God is, is essential. But the gospel presented by a believer whose life exemplifies the character of Christ is the best. Are we acting with wisdom in our interactions with those who 
do not know him. And he goes on to say that we should make the most of every opportunity. That you and I should live with intentionality in the way in which we live our life. That we pursue others because God first pursued us. That we live in this constant state of tension. That one of our values and desires and needs is that we would be in biblical community. That we would share life with others uh, in a way to encourage and inspire us in our walk. But also that we would make time to put ourselves in environments with others who do not know Jesus. That we'd be very intentional to um, allow our light to shine in places where light is not as available, not as present. I often uh, think of this, and a good litmus test for me is just to take out my cell phone. I can look back a few weeks of those that I've texted or those that I've called. Uh, maybe if you want to do an in-depth look, look at my contacts. And the first question I always ask myself is, do I know where they stand with Jesus, right? Have I gotten to that point to where Maybe I've asked them about the most important thing in their life. But if not, is my cell phone full of just people who are following Jesus? Or am I building relationships, being intentional with those that do not know him? And Paul is saying, be wise in the way that you act. Live with intentionality. Recognize that there is this urgency, that we have this message that is of utmost importance to share with those that are stumbling in the darkness. I think of our actions must, much like an iron. You know, we have to choose, this is a four iron, you know, what is the appropriate iron based upon the distance or uh, the terrain that we face ourselves in. And sometimes we may not know how strongly our actions are communicating but our desire is to be faithful. Our desire is uh, to live in response of what God has done with us because our actions help get to the green. Our actions allow us to proclaim this message with a sense of authority, with a sense of integrity, with a sense of belief. There's a final thing that Paul gives us. And we see this in verse 6. And uh, he goes on to say, let your conversation be full of grace, always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. For a long time, I always thought that maybe our primary responsibility was to speak. And there is. But I think I missed or quickly uh, read this passage because I miss something so that you may know how to answer everyone. The NASB version says that we would know how to respond to others. I think it is important here of understanding that most opportunities to shed light come in the context of relationships. That often it's not about a presentation, but it's a dialogue, an invitation to a conversation right? That there's questions that are being asked back and forth. 
that we would have a posture of wanting to listen, wanting to learn, wanting to explore and know others' stories, that we would want to know their heartache and heartbreak, right? That behind their questions all often is an experience. And sometimes we think in trying to answer the questions, we're maybe doing uh, the good, but it can at times cause more harm because we haven't maybe cared the person. Now, I believe we, we need to know answers, right? For ones that we can. For other times we recognize to say, that's, that's hard, right? In 1 Peter 3, 15, it says, for others that kind of recognize the hope that we have, that always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but to do so with gentleness and respect. Part of knowing the answers is uh, knowing God's word, understanding some essential things about his story, using our story as a way of talking how God brought us out of darkness into this marvelous light. Part of having answers is not being naive or having a blind faith of being aware of maybe things that are challenging or difficult for others, but that we would respond in the context of a relationship. And our response is so essential because here he's talking about our dialogue and our conversation, that it would always be full of grace. Grace is giving what others do not deserve. And sometimes maybe when we meet that brash, antagonistic person that wants to give us a hard time, may our response be one of grace. May our response point to uh, who Jesus is and his character. Do you know when Jesus spoke that others were amazed? I think maybe at what he said, but often his tone that no one else spoke like him that his words were so powerful, but they were so gracious, so life-giving, so loving. When you and I talk about uh, circumstances we face, I hear all these uh, school board meetings as people are trying to navigate COVID, and it saddens me to think of the response of uh, some who would claim to be a follower of Jesus right? That we, would we always, no matter what, respond with grace, with love, that our words would be seasoned with salt. Salt was used to avoid corruption, but it was a preservative as well. I think of it this way, that the gospel at times may be offensive. It's a hard message for others to embrace, but may I never be offensive in the way that I share the gospel. May others kind of see my heart, uh, my compassion. May I not become complacent that I would do uh, live in response with such intentionality, but uh, my tone or demeanor would be something that they couldn't argue with, that they would feel as much as hear the gospel. Paul's given us this idea that you and I can use as we seek to be light bearers things that we have opportunity to control, right? We can't coerce, we can't force, we never should, someone to turn to the gospel. 
but it's through prayer, through our actions, through our response and conversations that God may use us to bring others into marvelous light. I received a a call this week, just a few days ago from when I'm recording this, and it was from Ben. Ben happened to be uh, a fraternity brother, and I had, over the course of a, a few years, many years after I was out of the fraternity, a relationship with Ben. And he called to say, Adam, I want to thank you. Today is my 12-year anniversary of following Jesus. Thank you for being bold enough, uh, for caring enough to share the good news of the gospel with me. When I think of that opportunity, those are the opportunities I most cherish. That I can't take stuff to heaven, but I can offer an invitation for others to experience God in his grace and his goodness for all eternity. Would you and I walk into each and every environment with that hope or that desire? I think of uh, around two weeks ago, we had this um, fraternity celebration. There was a guy who had come back from living in uh, Micronesia for a while, and uh, we were celebrating him. And as I look at some of my fraternity brothers, um, I'm thankful for, I have a little hair. I know I'm going balding right there. Um, but I love these guys. And the reality is that uh, many of them haven't said yes to Jesus. And I pray through uh, my interactions with them for the way that I talk uh, about my family, my aspirations, my goals, the questions I may ask of them, that one, I'd be a beautiful picture of the gospel, that God may allow me or use me to uh, be part of their story, that there are opportunities for all of us, right? That we would be intentional to create those spaces, to do life with others, that we would recognize our role and responsibility, but God is ultimately the one who changes hearts, that we could shine light well, that we could bring hope and healing to a world that's desperately in need, that is stumbling in darkness. Would we hold each other accountable? Would we ask that when we go to prayer, that it's not just about physical needs, but would we remind ourselves of the opportunity we have to uh, be a vessel, an ambassador to others around us? Would we pray with devotion? Would we act with wisdom and intentionality? Would we respond with grace and goodness? Would we use our story of how God has brought us out of marvelous light? We see this in the first Peter, that he has called us out of darkness into this wonderful light so that we can point others to who is ruling and reigning and one day will be rightly on his throne as the light of our world. Will you pray with me? Father, that's our hope and desire. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that uh, we can offer light. I pray that as we navigate and understand darkness, we would do so in the same manner with which you did, that we'd offer hope and healing, not condemnation, 
but the path of salvation. Lord, we know that others are in desperate need of your light. I pray individually, corporately, that we would do everything we could to help make Jesus make sense, that we would live our lives uh, with such abandon for the purpose that you've called us to. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.